let's open our Bibles to Psalm 84. Psalm 84, our passage this morning, it's a passage I've been thinking about for well over a year. In fact, just one verse of Psalm 84, particularly verse 5, is forming the central theme of my sabbatical and the pilgrimage that I will undertake in just a few weeks. Psalm 84, verse 5, calling us to to a life of pilgrimage. Um, This happens sometimes for pastors. Um, Martin Luther, for example, having Romans 1, verse 17 on his mind for over a year. And he said of that passage, I'm going to wrestle with it until it blesses me, just like Jacob wrestling with God. And and for me, that has been Psalm 84, verse 5, for a long time as I've been thinking about my sabbatical and preparing for how I can use the time well, a time of rest and seeking the Lord. And I want to share with you what I've been learning about this great passage of Scripture. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be thinking about how we are all pilgrims. The theme of my sabbatical is pilgrimage. And and by thinking of ourselves as pilgrims, hopefully we don't just think of travel, although it certainly can include that and will include that for me and my family, but that we are all pilgrims, hopefully making progress towards a fuller enjoyment of the presence of God, being near the Lord, and ultimately being in heaven someday surrounding the throne of God. So before I even read our passage, I think that it would be helpful for you if we answer a couple questions. What is a pilgrim? What is a pilgrimage? People in our culture associate pilgrims with thanksgiving, right? You hear the word pilgrim perhaps this morning and you think of the men with the tall black hats with the belt buckle in the middle of them that the the kids make in their Thanksgiving crafts when they're in kindergarten and first grade. And so you might think of the Mayflower and pilgrims and Native Americans and Thanksgiving dinner. But, um, you know, it's not the worst way of thinking about pilgrims because they were pilgrims in the sense that they were traveling with a spiritual purpose. They were seeking a new homeland. They were on their way to following the Lord more fully, more, um, more faithfully. And so those pilgrims who uh, arrived in what is now Massachusetts certainly had a spiritual purpose for their journey um, to, uh, to enjoy and see the kingdom of God. But um, hopefully we can think more broadly of pilgrims as we move through this sermon series. Webster defines a pilgrimage as a journey to a sacred place. And a Christian pilgrimage is, is to travel or to, to grow or to enjoy something new with the intention of experiencing the presence of Christ. And so a pilgrimage could be to... Um, a significant natural place where you're going to go and sit and and pray. Um, A pilgrimage could be to um, a mission, like fourth graders are told, to go to their mission and and learn about what God has done through um, the, the, the work of Catholic missionaries in the history of California. That's a type of pilgrimage also, and hopefully there's a spiritual element, for especially for, for Christian children who undertake that travel. 
Uh, Christian pilgrimage is happening all the time, actually. Every one of us is on our way somewhere. Spiritually speaking, we are on our way somewhere all the time. So think of a pilgrimage in the sense that that it is used in the pilgrim's progress, where you find the main character, Christian, the main, um, on his way from the city of destruction to the celestial city of the great king, who is his Savior and Lord. Of course, a reference there to, to Jesus. So he wants to be with Jesus. He wants to, to please the king as he travels on the way. He wants to uh, say no to distractions and ungodliness and temptation along the way. That's really what the whole book is about. And he wants to make progress, hence the name, the Pilgrim's Progress. So he's on his way to the celestial city, and, and even in thinking about that example, we can ask ourselves, am I on my way to heaven, to the celestial city, the city of God, Zion, the presence of God, I'll remind you of the words of Paul to Timothy that I preached several weeks ago when he says to that young pastor, you need to labor and strive for godliness. Labor and strive. Work hard towards enjoying the presence of God. So, that is Christian pilgrimage, whether it involves travel to a place or just going to work or coming to church. I hope to convince you through this series that you are a pilgrim. You are a pilgrim. And that will be clear in our text this morning that you're called to pilgrimage. Do you desire to enter God's presence? Do you desire to know God more fully today? Spiritually speaking, where are you going right now? Where are you going? That's what we'll be asking. Next week, we'll think about the city of destruction, where we're coming from. And then throughout the rest of the series, we'll think about where God will lead us through. And so, one detail that we just need to know before I read Psalm 84 is the Valley of Baca that's referred to as here. It could also be called the Valley of Weeping. I think that'll help us understand the text a little bit better if you know that detail. The Valley of Baca is the Valley of, of Weeping or of Sorrow. So, having already prayed that the Lord will bless our reading, let's Look now at Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my King. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, Hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Our passage this morning, Psalm 84, strikes a perfect balance between enjoying the presence of God, being at home with the Lord, and moving forward, transformation, following God in obedience to his will. Most of the passage was about dwelling with God. Most of the passage was about resting, stopping, enjoying being near the Lord God. Even the sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself. What an amazing word picture. And we don't have to just think that it was just concocted from the imagination of the psalmist. We could maybe imagine the psalmist walking through the temple complex and noticing birds flying nearby, perhaps even looking up at the columns or even onto the roof of of the temple and seeing nests hearing the chirping of baby birds and realizing in that moment that the Lord had ordained for birds a place near his temple. And so the psalmist is saying that, thinking how much more does the Lord care for us that he would desire that we would dwell with him, would enjoy his presence, would find a place of rest even near his holiness. The Christian life certainly is a life of rest, a life of spiritual security as we live in God's care, as we're kept in God's hands. The Christian life is a life of of stopping and enjoying the presence of God. But then verse 5 is thrown right into the middle of this passage. And this verse is a profound call not just to stop and certainly not to stop growing, not to stop enjoying, not to, not to stop tra- being transformed, but, but it's a call out of complacency and into pilgrimage. Our passage said, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. And the NIV gives a, a good translation as well. Blessed are those whose strength is in you who have their hearts set on pilgrimage, who are on the way. Blessed is the person who wants to know God more fully. Blessed is the person who is striving towards greater obedience to the law of God. Blessed is the person who's thinking hard about what's happening in the world and and growing in their knowledge of, of God and of the world that he's made. Blessed is the person who refuses to stop seeking the Lord. Why? Why would such a person continue relentlessly seeking God? Because you know how good his presence is. You know how good it is to spend one day in the courts of the Lord and how, how that supersedes the value of a thousand days anywhere else. So, blessed is the person who is on the way there. We find many people living this way throughout the scriptures. People on pilgrimage. People on a journey. 
In fact, the two main stories in the opening books of the Bible are pilgrimage stories. The story of Abraham being called out of the land of his fathers, Ur of the Chaldeans, towards a land that the Lord God had promised for him. So that's really the story that forms so much of the storyline of the book of Genesis. And then in books 2 through 5 of the Old Testament, another pilgrimage occurs where Israel is brought out of the land of slavery and they are on their way to that same promised land. So when you think of of pilgrimage, you might wonder, well, where is this really in the Bible? It's very prevalent in the opening important books of the Bible, um, Genesis through Deuteronomy. And so in both cases, God is calling people to trust him, that, that Abraham would believe the word of God and go where God sends. And that Moses and all of these people curmudgeonly complaining grumpy people living in the wilderness, that they would trust the Lord and follow and go where he's sending. God calls Abraham and Moses to have faith. God calls them into a new place. Also, Psalms 120 through 134, 15 psalms are pilgrimage psalms, where these are songs that that pilgrims would sing as they would travel towards Jerusalem, the holy city. They're called songs of ascent because Jerusalem was perched up on, couldn't quite say a mountain, but a tall hill. And so at the end of this pilgrimage journey, these, these pilgrims, travelers, would have to go uphill towards the city. And so these are called songs of ascent. You could read those psalms as you are on maybe a pilgrimage of your own and and you would be called into going to God more regularly. Perhaps the ultimate pilgrimage in the scriptures, even superseding that of of the, uh, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, is that of Jesus moving towards Jerusalem. In Luke 9, verse 51, we read, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus lived as a man on the move, traveling through Galilee, through various towns, blessing people, performing miracles, teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching about what was going to happen ultimately in his ministry, that he would be turned over to the chief priests, that he would be tried and killed, and on the third day he would rise from the dead. And so Jesus is on a journey to the cross, And he says of his disciples that we need to follow him there. In that same chapter, Luke 9, verse 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This is in contrast to how many Christians think of the Christian life today. Unfortunately, It is a temptation for many to think of the Christian life only as believing and staying where you are. Just believe in Jesus, and you do need to believe in Jesus for your salvation, repenting of your sin, believing in his work at the cross and in his resurrection. You do need to believe in Jesus, but unfortunately for so many people, it stops with just believing. The command of the New Testament is to believe and follow and go. 
not just to listen, but to act, to go where Jesus goes. And so we follow Jesus and we make progress in our spiritual life when we're following him. Taking up our cross, how often? Daily and following him. We make progress when this happens. Perhaps the most debated matter in the church today is the question, is the Christian church, is the Christian religion conservative or progressive? Is the Christian church, is the faith that we have, should it be progressive or conservative? Now, I I want us to hopefully strip away the political connections that those words have and just to think about the words themselves for a little bit this morning. Is Christianity a conservative religion or a progressive religion? Aren't those interesting terms? The conservative wants to conserve what is good. And so is Christianity conservative in some ways? Absolutely it is. And again, I hope you'll think of these words at least for a little while without the political connections that our society gives to them. Is Christianity conservative? It is. We are called to conserve, to hold on to what is good, to hold on to the gospel, to protect it, not to change. After all, in the book of Jude, we're told to contend for the faith that was once for all handed down from the saints. And so there's something that we are given as Christians, the word of God, the gospel message that ought not change. And also 1 Timothy 3 verse 9, Paul wrote to the church that a leader must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. And so holding on to those things is essential if we're going to, to, uh, to glorify God in our lives. Hebrews 6 refers to Christ and to the work of Christ as an anchor an anchor for the soul. And so this means that there are things in the Christian faith that ought not shift, that ought not move, that ought not change. After all, Jesus Christ himself is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is Christianity conservative in some sense? Yes, it absolutely is. But our faith is also progressive in that we want to grow. We want to change, to be transformed, to be renewed. We want to progress in our prayer life, in our obedience to Christ. We want to progress and even get better at enjoying the presence of God. There is so much in the world that needs changing. There's so much in our world that needs transformation. And the Christian is interested in seeing that transformation, that progress happen, not just within, but outside of us as well. Don't all of us have so much to learn about God? Don't we have so much to learn about following Jesus? We want to progress in that way. After all, there are people who need to hear the gospel. And, of course, we find many places in the Old and New Testaments. How can they hear unless someone is sent, unless someone goes, unless someone makes progress out of their home, out of a church building, towards them? 
There is suffering that needs to be addressed in the world. And when Psalm 84 verse 5 tells us that there's a blessing in store for the person whose heart is set on pilgrimage, it has in mind that person who is on their way, not just to God, but, but to bless other people on the path of life. These are people who embrace new experiences, who are not afraid, but who go where God sends. So these two ideas of holding on to the truth while at the same time moving forward in faith are communicated so perfectly in Jeremiah 6, verse 16, where the prophet wrote, Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. So you can see there the the perfect combination of conservative and progressive. Let's just reject those extremes as Christians. Can we do that? So the Christian holds on to what is good and true and does not waver in it, while at the same time moving forward into new experiences, meeting new people, embracing people into our church who are different than us, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, God's prescribed way is. Don't waver off of it. That's really the whole story of the pilgrim's progress. Every time he leaves the path, he gets in trouble. Don't leave it, but walk in it. Go along it. One of Christian's great problems in the pilgrim's progress story is is not just when he leaves the path, but when he stops on the path to rest. Then bad things can happen there as well. But walk in it and find rest for your souls. So, This call to seek spiritual progress is an invitation to an adventure. You know, I really struggle when people say that they think Christianity is boring. I really struggle with that because the dwelling place of the Lord is so wonderful. Living as a Christian in the world is so full of life and new experiences, and goodness. We're on our way to knowing the Lord more fully. We're moving from strength to strength. The person who holds on to faith as they walk is so richly blessed. Psalm 84 promised the Lord will not withhold any good thing for those who walk uprightly. And yet some some people would still say, yeah, there's just this boring thing that Christianity appears to be. So we are called to an adventure. And I would encourage you this morning to shift maybe away from the external things of church and towards the spiritual essence of the Christian faith, which is a call to grow, to progress, to travel, to change. But for some people, that call to a Christian adventure produces anxiety. It produces worry You don't like words like change, perhaps, or maybe you don't even like a word like transformation because you know that there might be something different on the other side. In fact, that's what change necessarily um, connotes. And you're not so sure about the change that you're going to enjoy because you like life how it is. Some of you are like hobbits in The Lord of the Rings. The great book, The Hobbit, follows a hobbit who is like a, a small person 
who lives in a, the Shire, a beautiful place. This hobbit named Bilbo Baggins in the story of the hobbit gets caught up in an adventure of defeating a dragon and saving Middle-earth. In the beginning of the story, Bilbo Baggins does not want to leave his home. Look at that spectacular home that Bilbo Baggins lived in. I mean, who would want to leave a home like that? It's so green, so lush, so beautiful. It's perfectly manicured lawn. He doesn't want not only to leave that home, but he doesn't really want to have strangers in his house either. And so that's what happens at the beginning of the story of The Hobbit. There is all of a sudden um, a dozen or so um, dwarves who, who arrive at his house because there's a meeting that's going to be happening at his house, whether he likes it or not, that will be planning to go save Middle-earth. And so Bilbo Baggins keeps opening his door and pe- new people keep coming in and they're eating his food and they're making a mess and he doesn't like it very much. And not only does he not really like that all that much, but he gets wrapped up in the planning of going to save the world and so sooner or later he finds that he's going to be going with them. He doesn't want to leave the Shire. These people exhaust him. <laughs> they worry him. They make him uncomfortable. And he just wants to stay at home. Can you relate to Bilbo Baggins? For such people who relate to this desire to keep the shire, to keep the goodness, and to to not let it change, to stay where you are at home, these people do not have the highways of Zion set in their hearts. They focus more on the goodness of dwelling where they are at the expense of going where God is telling them to go. Now, certainly, we can say it's sometimes wise to preserve and conserve and hold on to the good things that God has provided. It can be a good thing. Nothing wrong with having a beautiful home like Bilbo Baggins did. Unfortunately, that goodness and the enjoyment of it can prevent people from following Jesus somewhere new. So, have you stopped following the Lord moving forward? Have you stopped seeking Christ? Have you stopped learning the Bible? Have you stopped praying or growing in faith? Perhaps because you just want things to stay like they are. Or maybe even to get back to what they used to be like. So often, Christians can look back and say, Oh, if only... Ammon Valley CRC could be just like it was in 1990. And so the the whole hope of what a church is trying to become is not something new, it's not necessarily even progress, but just trying to get back to what things used to be like. Brothers and sisters, the word of God is so clear. God calls us into something new. Not something necessarily different theologically, or even in the essence of what ministry should be that shouldn't be changing, but to to new experiences, new people, new growth. And so I want to get really precise quickly in three ways as we think about what it might look like to have progress as a pilgrim. First, think of the spiritual application. How are you called to make spiritual progress? Are you close to God? If yes, keep moving forward towards him. Or if you're distant from God and you know that, you know that your heart is not really set on his law, 
and you're feeling some distance from God, maybe not able to pray, not able to read the Word and really hear from God, keep striving for that. Are you making spiritual progress today? Even as I ask that question, some people might say, I don't even really know what that means. So I want to give you a little step that could help you make progress tomorrow. When you hear your alarm go off, pray before you even step out of bed. You will be making spiritual progress before your feet even hit the ground. And so if you really don't know how to get started making progress towards the Lord on this this Christian pilgrimage all of us are on, say little prayers through the day. Before you turn your car radio on or your Spotify or whatever you listen to, your podcast as you're driving in your car, before you hit play, before you turn the power on, just pray. And find those little ways through the day to incorporate rhythms of prayer. That's how you make spiritual progress. That's how you take steps forward. And so you might say, well, what am I supposed to pray when I wake up or when I sit in my car, when I sit down at my desk? Just pray and thank God for your salvation. Thank God for your baptism. Thank God for communion, for the church. Thank God for your family. And ask him a simple thing. Who do you want me to help today? Send someone to me, God, who needs care, who needs attention. Send them to me so that I might be like Christ to them, shining the light of Jesus to them. When you pray, just thank God for a new day, maybe, and ask for his guidance. That's how you get started on the road of Christian pilgrimage. The second application is the moral application. And so you can ask, are the people around you flourishing? And if they are, how can you improve and and show greater love to the people around you even more fully? Psalm 84 said that when you're following the Lord, you make the valley of Baca a place of rejoicing. You make the valley of sorrow into a place where there are are pools, where there is, is verdant life. And so for the Christian, you're going to be going through situations where people are struggling and they need love. And if you're living virtuously, morally, with the light of Christ within you, you're going to help them and bless them. That's a moral Christian life. Sometimes we think of morality in terms of the things that we just don't do. And certainly it includes that. But morality is also loving God, and at its core it's really loving our neighbors actively. So, the Christian has spiritual strength to love people by living virtuously, by doing what is right, by growing also in virtue. Hopefully your heart is set on pilgrimage in the moral sense that you want to be purer, holier, godlier. You want to know Jesus more fully and live more like him. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord and who walks in his ways. Thirdly, there is the intellectual application of pilgrimage. Are you growing in your thinking? Are you using your mind to love the Lord? I encourage you to read something challenging. Read something different. Read something, (laughs) perhaps at all. Open a a paper book (laughs) Um, and challenge your mind. And if you don't know exactly where to start, 
I'd love to talk with you and encourage you. You could tell me which topic you might like to learn more about, and um, Pastor Zach or I would love to, to recommend a book, a book to read, to exercise your mind. It is, I think, one of the great dangers and threats to Christianity in America that we are becoming, just to be quite honest, dumber, not reading as much, consuming entertainment that actually makes us dumber and distracts us from what is true, what is noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, according to Philippians 4.8. And so our minds aren't set on, on, on what is true, what is excellent and praiseworthy. We're not thinking about such things, and we're distracted by scrolling through a cell phone screen over and over, or just searching Netflix without even ever picking things sometimes. I'm guilty of that. But the Christian is on an intellectual journey, using your mind to grow in your knowledge of the Word of God and how it applies to the world, to your life as well. So, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about that stuff. Think about such things. Blessed is the one whose heart is set on pilgrimage in the intellectual sense. That's so much of what I hope to accomplish in my sabbatical, to just think about good theology for a long time and receive, receive, pray, sit in churches, enjoy the works of the Puritans, the works of of great Reformed theologians, the Word of God itself. So, in all of this, we are worshiping God as we make progress. We are worshiping God with our minds as we read what is good and true and pure. We're worshiping him with our our hearts as we grow in virtue. We're worshiping him with our strength as we serve him. And this is not boring, is it? I hope you can tell I'm excited about this topic. This is not boring. It is an adventure. So if you have gotten bored with your faith, perhaps you think that you've even gotten bored with God, The problem is not that God is boring, it's that you're not seeking him. I want to repeat that. If it feels like like your faith is stale and it's stagnant and you've stopped and things are kind of boring, the problem is not with God. The problem is that you have stopped in your pilgrimage. You have stopped making progress. Like Bilbo Baggins, you might be caught up in your nice, clean home and your routines. And so don't be surprised when you feel that your experience of God is not the thrilling adventure that is described in the scriptures. But turn away from that. Start following Jesus. A mysterious thing happens in the Christian life when you are seeking the Lord, when you are laboring and striving to follow Jesus with all your energy. That's when you experience the most rest. One of the beautiful, ironic things in the Christian faith, the one who is striving and seeking and who doesn't give up, who perseveres, that's the most rested, content, secure person. It's because when you seek him with all your heart, you remember the gospel. That Christ has undertaken the perfect pilgrimage. He's, he's gone to the cross. 
He's, paid, he's lifted a burden that we couldn't lift off of our own backs, off of our own souls. And so, what does he say? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, take my yoke upon, upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so he's saying, come to me and I'll give you rest, and we'll go somewhere together. And we'll go somewhere together. When you stop growing and learning and changing, though, you will drift to trusting in yourself. You will be taking that burden on yourself, putting it on your plan, on your comfort, and it's a heavy burden that you're not meant to carry. So, fellow hobbitses, will you step out in faith? Will you step through the door to follow Jesus? When God is your guide, you will be a pilgrim. When God is your guide, you will make progress. Let it be so for each of us. Amen. Let's pray.